Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, our living king, the one in whom we put our trust and hope. For we know that you will never fail us because of all promises are yes in your son, Jesus. And as we share word and commune together today, we pray your Holy Spirit will reign over us and renew our hearts and rejuvenate our body and soul and mind that we will continue to proclaim the birth of your son, Jesus, his death and resurrection the rest of our lives. Until you come and take us home, we pray that you will preserve us in the true faith um, until we see you, Lord, and uh, be with us as we hear the word and, and, uh, and share stories of what your son has done, uh, that in it we may find life. And we pray this in Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord's blessings be with you. Last night was our, thanks, our Christmas Eve service. I think it ended at midnight. So we ended up going to bed around like 2 a.m., at least I did. And uh, Josh probably didn't sleep all night. He's one of those guys, kind of just does like 58 hours, like straight, right? Uh, Pastor Cabral probably slept early. So in the middle of my sermon, if you find me getting a bit confused, please don't blame me for that today, you know? Uh, it, was, it was a wild Sunday last night. It was, it was an awesome Saturday. We spent a lot of good time. The kids did an amazing job. Our band did a wonderful work. And Josh and Pastor Cabral shared a word in both services last night. And um, I think it was in combination that we had like 400 people were on campus last night. So it was a lot of crowded, a lot of Panatona and Hambasha was eaten yesterday. So it was just, it was fascinating night. So praise God that God allowed us to celebrate this. But today, before we go home and celebrate with our, each of our family, let me just share something with us as we process what Christmas is and what, it, what it took place uh, through the gifts of God in Jesus. So Christmas is here and sometimes it evokes like nostalgia, right? Sometimes it also invokes joy. We all of us have like a, a kind of memory of Christmas from a very, very young age, especially if you grow up in a predominantly Judeo-Christian kind of a country, you have, we all have this kind of experience of what Christmas should look like or what it feels like, right? Uh, but so to some of us, it could actually be negatively impacting us, the Christmas day. Sometimes we probably lost our parents, and we remember the first Christmas that we were without our parents. Sometimes some people remember the first Christmas without their spouse because of divorce. Some kids probably remember uh, Christmas without both of their parents. Some of us have like negative uh, memories of what, Chris what took place on Christmas. And some of us have a positive uh, memory of what took place on Christmas, right? The exciting things and the things that were bought and the things that was given to us. Yet, um, one thing for all, the common thing for all of us is this. We've all, many of us probably heard a classic uh, readings of the story of Christmas. So, you probably know what took place on Christmas. Jesus was born in Christmas. And then we have like a, a vague uh, understanding or a much more clearer understanding of what took place. But, Here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to mention like three critical points. But number one is, why is Christmas the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life? Why is Christmas a way to look to life? So here, allow me to switch quickly into Grinya. Um, so when we think about Christmas, one of the, the, the factual things is it actually has to do a lot with our lives, with who we are and what, 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 what we are about and what the future is for us. So Christmas has a, a clear attachment to who we are. So 
And this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 that we read yesterday. In, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16 that was read yesterday. In the book of Luke, that when we hear the stories of Jesus, one of the things that we see is this. It does not say, from the world a light came. Right? It doesn't say, from the world a light came. It actually says, to the world a light came. So the way we see things is so critical and so, so important because the, the point is that the world is a dark place that needs salvation to come from outside of it, not from within it. And that's so important in the day and age that we live in today. In the world where people are telling us, find internal peace within you. Find internal rest within you find hope within you right well you cannot do that that's an impossible task that's a task somebody cannot carry anybody cannot carry that's a, a very very huge task for one to carry no one can look deep in the inside and find peace within it for that Jesus was born from outside he entered the world from an outside for there is nothing in the inside that could save us so, two summaries before I jump into my second point. Light does not come to the world from within. Light has to come from the outside. There's no light within us, there's no light in the world, but God has sent his light for us. And this is a cleared-eyed and realistic approach to our problems. It is not a raha optimism, yet it is not a pessimistic either, because there is hope and a certainty that God will eventually destroy all evil. Amen? So when we think about Christmas, it's not just... This cute things that we tell our kids so they can feel a little bit hopeful about their lives. The, the story of Christmas is not something that we, we share so we can feel hopeful about whatever is going on around us. Kind of like a temporary drug to remove us. But rather a realistic approach. A realistic approach to how we look at life. Alright, so, second... How many of you remember, you don't have to raise your hands right now, but how many of you remember trying to read Matthew chapter 1? So let me tell you a story how I got introduced to reading the scripture. My mom, when I was a kid, she did that with all my siblings, but I did not know. She would say she'd be cooking during, for lunch for everybody over summer, and she would say, why don't you read the Bible for me right now? Because I'm cooking, my eyes can't see, whatever, you know. And then I'll be reading the whole entire Matthew before I go play. It was a trick. My mom could read very well. And her eyes were fine. But when I was a kid, the thing that was not my favorite was reading through the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. If you go home and read Matthew chapter 1, you'll be okay with the first names. But later on, the names are really hard to pronounce. And they're so random. It's generation after generation. But mind you, why do we just usually jump it? Those things kind of bored us to death. The reason why is 
the genealogy is not a, a matter of importance to us. But in the first century, genealogy is like a resume. When you put your resume, you don't put the things that you've done wrong, right? You don't put in your resume, there was a time when I got fired from a job. There was a time I got a fight with my boss. You don't put a resume, I had C the whole entire high school. I actually cheated on a test. You don't put that in your resume. In your resume, only the good things are there. Only the things that you succeeded in. In this genealogy of Jesus, we see things that are good, but things that are bad. So to take you back to the first century, there was four women that were mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. In the first century, when you talk about your generation and where you came from and who you are, you don't mention women. You only mention men. But in this particular story, those four women were mentioned. And four of those women, by the way, one of them, Rahab, Rahab was, was, she was a prostitute, but she was mentioned in genealogy of Jesus. One of them, Tamar, she was not an Israelite. Ruth, not. People with not the best resume and women were mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus because Jesus, he was giving his resume, but his resume was something for you and I to know that he does not despise anybody. He is here for you regardless of who you are, regardless of who we are. In this ancient and less individualistic times, uh, genealogy was like a way to declare what kind of great, family you came from and all those figures that are mentioned in Jesus genealogy in other people's genealogy they would be disowned they would be forgotten there were kings but there was also prostitutes there were Jew and there was Gentiles equally part of Jesus family so even the bigots the Bible drip with God's mercy for them and he says, Jesus, when he shows his resume, he mentions you too. He calls your name too, despite of who you are, despite of who we are. So that was the fascinating thing about Christmas. So go, about, go home and keep reading on the stories of Jesus, especially on his genealogy. And when you read it, remember, your name is in it too. Because the seed of Christ is within you. Third part is this, neither the God of moralism or the God of relativism uh, would have bothered with Christianity. If life was about being morally right in order to see God, there, was, there wouldn't be a need for Jesus to come and die for us in the cross. There would no need to be for Jesus to show up and rose from the dead for us. Why would God need to become human in order to live and die in our place if we can fulfill the requirement of righteousness ourselves? Another idea is that we have an idea of that God is all loving so he does not really care what you do because he will look at you with love. Christmas is familiar, but it is tame. Christmas is both more wondrous and more threatening than we can imagine so why was 
One of the most crucial things in Christmas is that. Wait. His genealogy is a resume of Jesus and it includes every sinful person you can imagine. And if moralism is not something that can save us, only something from outside can save us, then who's that? That's, 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 that's what Christmas focuses in. There's nothing within you and there's nothing outside of you either that you can actually do. You cannot find peace and an everlasting promise within you, within us. And there's nothing outside of us that we can do to earn God's love. So Jesus must come from outside, not for us to do anything, but for him to come and enter into us and lead us to his ways. Let me conclude with this. Let alone in the ancient times, even today, there's a lot of parents here. You would never allow somebody else to dictate what the name of your child will be, right? You want to name your child. Or even if, you're, if your parents want to name your child as grandparents, they need your approval. People just cannot go, that's not Joshua, that's Dawit. Like, they can't do that, right? To the Woodrow families. They'd be like, bro, we're going to call him Josh. Because parents want to have some level of ownership in their children's lives, so they put a name. But mind you, when Jesus was born, the parents were not allowed to name him. The angel was explicit. He says, you're going to name him Jesus. I've always wondered, how come the parents didn't choose the name? All parents have the right to the name of their own child. It's a sign of authority over the child. The power they have over how the child would live and who the child will become. This was even truer in ancient times and in today's time too. But then again, the angel just doesn't allow it. He was very specific in Luke chapter 2. He wants the parents to know that Jesus is their master. And by refusing to let Mary and Joseph name their son, the angel was essentially saying something like this. If Jesus is in your life, you are not his manager. He is your manager. You don't name him or tell him who he is. He's come to tell you who you are. And that's our greatest temptation as human beings. We really want God, but we want to name him ourselves and we want to tell him who he needs to become if I hate somebody I want my God to be the God who understands that I hate somebody if I want to kill somebody I want my God to be the God who approves me killing somebody if I want to be unfaithful I want my God to be the God that allows me to be unfaithful the God that is in us we want to name him and we want to manage him. So when Mary had the child in her, the angel says, do not name him and do not tell anything about what he's going to become. I will tell you who he's going to become because that is God in flesh. You don't name him and you don't tell him who it's going to become. So for this Christmas season, my prayer for you and I is, Jesus is in us, but let us not manage Jesus on our own. Let us not tell who Jesus should be for us based on the culture we live in and based on the countries we live in, based on what society is telling us. We cannot tell Jesus who he can be and what his name is. 
But rather, we go to the Word of God and we say, Lord, tell me who you are and tell me what you're going to become and what you are for me. For I am not your manager. For you are my creator. All right. As we go home, many of you probably have an absolute trust in what Jesus is and what he has done for us. And some of you probably doubt. And doubt is okay, by the way. But there's a, there's a closed-minded doubt and there's an open-minded doubt. Remember the story of Jesus? There was a, a, a priest named Zechariah. His wife didn't have a child for a very long time. And the angel came and he said, Zechariah, you will have a child. Your, your wife will birth a child, right? And then he says, I can't believe this. My wife is old. I am old. I can't have a baby. I don't think I could trust that. Does anybody know what happened to Zechariah? The dude was muted. Muted. He did not speak until Jesus came back. Until, until his son was born. But the same exact story happened to Mary. And when the angel came and approached Mary and he says, you're going to have a child. She says, that's not possible. But then Mary didn't have the consequence of her being muted. And I've always wondered, why was that? Why did God react differently to the both of them? The difference is the kind of doubt that really is seeking more information than wants to believe if it's possible. Mary's doubt was, I want to believe, but I cannot have a baby without sleeping with a man. That's impossible. I can't just be pregnant out of nowhere. She was seeking information. She was, she was wanting something. But with Zechariah was, no, this cannot be possible. So if you're doubting about Jesus, in this Christmas season, you are allowed to doubt. In Jude chapter 1 verse 2, he says, be merciful to those who doubt. But when you doubt, don't doubt with ignorance. With this idea of impossibility that God cannot be this way. But rather doubt with asking God, would you reveal yourself to me, please? So go home, eat this good food somebody made, or you made. Open the gifts. Do this automated text message. Y'all got those automated text messages from like everybody in your family? Those really overwhelming text messages? We got like 90 of them. Everybody's saying Merry Christmas. And please reply to all of them as much as you can. And then tomorrow is going to be normal day and the day after that we'll go to the New Year's. And those of us who doubt, we'll continue to doubt. Those of us, we ask questions, we continue to ask questions. But please be reminded that don't doubt with ignorance, but doubt with faithfulness. That asking God to reveal himself for us, asking God to reveal himself for you. Would you please rise from your seats as we pray and sing this short song asking the Lord to in the midst of our doubt of what Christmas is in the birth of his child Lord come 
confess Bowing here I find my rest Without you I fall apart Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense. My but we want to doubt with wanting more information, wanting more revelation. So we pray that your Holy Spirit will reveal himself to each one of us. Bring us to you, Lord, we pray. We pray that we need you for there is no light within us. There's no light around us. Light must come from outside of us. So we pray for the true light, your son Jesus, 
to be revealed to each one of us as we walk in this life. We pray that you will come and point us to your son over and over by the power of your word and by the authority of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, Redeemer. Amen.